Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. You might think politics is tainted by compromise and sin. Well, yes, you'd be right. But then again, so is everything else since the fall. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in and around the world of politics. Today, we'll be joined by the founder of Street Pastors, the Reverend Les Isaac. His work bringing prayer and action to communities across the UK has been widely commended, but it was his sermon at last week's National Parliamentary Prayer Breakfast which has seen him hit the mainstream headlines. Sajid Javid has credited the speech with inspiring him to resign as Health Secretary, a move which began the end of Boris Johnson's reign as Prime Minister. We look forward to speaking to Pastor Les about that sermon and whether he expected so much to come of it. But first, a week really is a long time in politics. Last week at the National Parliamentary Prayer Breakfast, we prayed for integrity and humility in government. Later that day, two senior cabinet members resigned and set in motion a process that led to Boris Johnson's own resignation and the start of a leadership campaign to be our next prime minister. Many of us quietly noted the timing, but this was made explicit by Sajid Javid's subsequent media interviews because he'd been at the breakfast and he is clear that the Reverend Les Isaac's sermon about the importance of integrity in public life had helped him to make up his mind to resign. The BBC News headline read, Sajid Javid says prayer meeting moved him to quit. So, how should we think about these events? You may be disappointed or delighted that Boris Johnson has been forced to announce his resignation. You might be thrilled at this public acknowledgement by Mr Javid, an MP who is not a Christian, that God seems to have moved so clearly in our national life. Some are even claiming that this was the prayer breakfast that brought down a government. Or perhaps you feel cynical about politics in general and wonder if this revelation is aimed at reassuring Conservative Party members that a candidate with a Muslim background is open to promptings from a Christian event. Whatever your views, there has certainly been a shift in the political sounds since last week's breakfast. And the next week we'll see Conservative MPs whittle the current 11 candidates down to two in a series of ballots. The vote then goes to the Conservative Party membership across the country with a new leader emerging in September. There are thought to be around 160,000 members of the Conservative Party. And in the end, it is those people who will in effect choose our next Prime Minister. My concern for this period is that despite talk of humility and public service, this could be quite a nasty contest, becoming more personal than political. In an attempt to win over the Conservative Party membership, we might see our politics become even more polarised. It reminds me of when I ran to be the leader of the Liberal Democrats. While the processes are a little different, in my case, I wasn't facing the immediate prospect of becoming Prime Minister if I won. Nevertheless, there are similarities. First, you are seeking to win support, not from the country, but from your own party. 
which is a very different audience and can make you seem quite odd and extreme to those onlookers from the media and the 99.9% of the population who aren't party members. Second, your opponents are, on this occasion, members of your own party. This is really awkward and can sometimes really test and threaten friendships. Our next Prime Minister will need the wisdom of Solomon and good guidance to tackle the huge challenges we face as a country. So we need to pray urgently that we will see leaders emerge who will govern with true integrity, seeking to prioritise the love of neighbour and care for the vulnerable, both throughout this leadership contest and throughout their time in number 10, if they're successful. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, he urges that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Let us pray for good leaders, that those who have spoken about the importance of integrity will campaign for integrity and act with integrity. Let's pray for wisdom and decency in the teams around the candidates. Let's not be self-satisfied as we discover that the prayers of 700 people in the heart of Parliament last week led to such a shift in our nation's leadership so quickly. But neither should we cynically dismiss this all as coincidence. We should not be surprised that prayer makes a difference. If we believe what the Bible tells us about the power of prayer, we will surely be moved to pray unceasingly, as 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us, and to be hopeful and excited for positive change. Christians have been praying for and in Parliament and government for years, and one of our key verses has been 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Dare we pray this prayer today and expect God to answer. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. So to our guest, Pastor Les Isaac, who's the founder of Street Pastors and the man behind the sermon, which some have said might have brought down the government last week. Well, Les, before that, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and then how you came to faith. Yes, well, good morning, uh, Tim. Um, really great um, to be able to do that. Um, I, I'm originally from Antigua, and I was born there. And like in the 50s, 60s, many Caribbean parents migrated to England. Um, my parents came, and three years later, myself and my um, two brothers uh, and sisters joined my parents. Now, it was interesting because that time was a very difficult time for me because strange country, after a year, my mother and father divorced or separated, and um, it was really a, a turbulent time, as it were. Um, as I grew up as a teen, you know, teen young people go through identity crisis, belonging, sense of wanting to belong. And I, I used to go to a, a, a Methodist church, and um, as young people, you dip out. But, you know, I, I went through a real tough time as a young kid in the urban context here. And um, I, you know, after going through a tough time, my mother died. And um, it was interesting because my father and I had a very serious argument, which I, I wanted to kill him, as it were. Um, but that day, um, I met a Christian who spoke to me about Jesus, who spoke to me about Jesus dying on the cross for my sins. And um, that evening, I was walking home. I just really felt that I was hearing God speaking to me. And three days later, I knelt down and I said, look, Jesus, 
come into my life. What difference did that make then? It led you to um, a life of following Jesus, but doing so in the first place as, as an evangelist, somebody who wanted to share Jesus with others. It was interesting because one of the things that was really um, sort of starting for me that really challenged me was I didn't hear the gospel. You know, up until then, I didn't really hear the gospel story of Jesus coming into this world, Jesus um, opening the kingdom for us, Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus being raised from the dead. I didn't hear that story. And I really said, look, Lord, I really want to be a conduit to really speak to people about Jesus. So I think my ministry started immediately after my conversion because I wanted to tell my friends how Jesus has made a difference, changed and transformed my life. And it was out of that a desire came and I didn't know what ministry was because all I wanted to do was to share Jesus. And what did that look like? You were you went you were an itinerant evangelist. You told me so. You went to different events and you spoke at different places. Churches would invite you. You went and spoke at, uh, at Queens Park Rangers ground with Lewis Palau. I understand. Yeah, it was really interesting because I became very passionate about telling the story of Jesus and. I realized then that a lot of young people my age didn't know about it. So, you know, I went to youth clubs, you know, local schools had youth clubs, you know, or clubs were in local schools. And I went there, spoke to the youth leaders, said, look, I'd like to encourage the young people in terms of their life. And they would give me a space in that non-Christian youth club. I went to Christian youth club. And after what they used to call the epilogue, I used to speak into that. And I remember... Um, driving along in North London and saw in a queue of people, um, um, queue of people that are queuing up to go in a cinema. And I thought, well, let me buy a projector and let me show Christian films. And I don't know if you remember that film, Crossing the Switchblade, um, things like that. And mm. I did that. And then out of that, churches invited me to come and share my testimony, preach to young people. And, you know, yeah, it was really a great joy and privilege working with the Lewis Bellel Mission to London. And just sharing this. So I've over the years had this passion. I still do have this passion of sharing Jesus. Mm. You went to Oak Hill um, Bible College. And uh, at some point, having uh, become a pastor, you decide or you help to establish and lead street pastors. Tell us a little bit how that came about. Yeah, I, I, I went to a theological college. It's called the, it was called the London Bible School, London Bible Colleges, or known as the London Bridal College. But I went there and spent a year there. And, and then it was interesting because for me, um, I came into ministry and I really felt that church had to be more than church on a Sunday. It had to be relevant. It had to meet people where they're at. And so for me, as I read a newspaper, watch the TV news, hear the radio, speak to parents, I realized that we had a crisis in our community. We had young people binge drinking during the week, you know, Friday, Saturday, going to A&E and all sorts of things happening. We had drugs, guns and gangs. And I thought, well, the church, yes, we should pray and we must always pray. But prayer... And as the Bible says, faith without works is dead. And I thought, let me see what we can do in a physical way. And so I went on the streets at, you know, from 11, 11 o'clock at night until 1, 2 in the morning to see what was happening. And it was out of that I became informed. So I was scoping. And I realized that 
actually people on the street wanted more to see more good people. In fact, the young man, I was out with the BBC one night on the streets of Birmingham, and the reporter said to this guy, well, what about seeing pastors on the street? And the young man re replied, and I've never forgotten this to him, he says, you know, we've got so many bad people on the street, it's about time we have more good people on the street. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was that. That really motivated me. And I'll never forget the first time we went on the streets with 18 people, 15 women and three men. And people were saying, what's taking the church so long? Mm. And I think even as we come through this pandemic, people are still looking for the church to minister, to speak into their lives and their circumstances. People, out, Christians throughout our country and beyond, hearing you speak now and thinking, this is a thing that could happen, we could do in our town, in our city, in our suburb. How would they, how would they engage with street pastors? How could it become something that they could take to their community? Well, well, first of all, we say to people, no one local congregation should do it on their own. Mm. They have to work in collaboration with other congregations. So it's churches. So we, we, we say to people, there's got to be a minimum of about five churches working together in this partnership. And, you know, once they do that, they could write to Ascension Trust. But also, we want them to speak to their local police service. We want them to speak to their MP, speak to the local authorities, because we recognize that this is a collaborative, you know, effort. People working together, just like we, you know, we were last week, we talked about the breakfast meeting. Mm -hmm. There was ministers, there were MPs, there were different people. We all come together because we really believe in the common good of the community. And so... Once they do that, they contact us and we will take them through a process so that they could, you know, be effective and train them and uniforms and DBSs, the whole lot, so that they can be well equipped to get out onto their streets. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. We're speaking to Pastor Les Isaac, the founder of Street Pastors and the man who delivered the sermon at this year's National Parliamentary Prayer Breakfast just last week. Les, how did the invite to come and be the main speaker, the, the man who delivered the sermon at the prayer breakfast, how did it come about? Well, actually, it was over three years ago. It was before the pandemic. Um, as you know, Tim, you know, I, I speak right across the, the Christian community. And obviously, somebody put in, must have put in a good word for me. <laughs> and um, and um, we, we, we met up three years ago and we talked about the, the, the breakfast um, and um, and obviously the pandemic came and then you know the virtual and everything and they said look Les we're really sorry about all this but we still want you to speak but we want you to speak in person mm -hmm. so let us all just wait and you know Angie the MP a great guy we spent time talking we all prayed together about this and so that invite came about um, because Obviously, um, they've heard about what I was doing and they've heard about the work of the Essential Trust Street Pastors and, and, and they felt that for that moment that I would be the appropriate preacher. Now, looking in that room that day, Tim, you were there, there were probably far, more, far better preachers than myself, but obviously God had his hands here as well. Well, he certainly did. You, you spoke a lot in your sermon about integrity and truth and uh, Christians living out their faith in a really practical way. Um, 
and it's obviously been said in 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 recent weeks and months that integrity is a is a challenge, shall we say, or a problem um, in politics. Uh, so it may have been a, a sermon three years in the coming, but it, it, but it was nevertheless something that seemed to be really appropriate for that moment. Mm. And, I, I, sorry, go on, Les. I, I think for me, whether you're in politics or in the church, or whether you're a school teacher or police officer, there is something about society is expecting that we have to be um, men and women of integrity. Mm. What's on the tin has got to be inside and played out in public or in private. There was an expectation, regardless of what people say, you've got a private life and it doesn't affect your public life. It does. Mm. And we've got to all remember that we are called, and particularly as we are called as, as, as church leaders and politicians to serve the public, and it means that what we say, people are listening to us. It means that what we do, people are watching us. And if we say it or do it, people will copy, emulate us. And so it is important that we get it right in terms of integrity. It's very important. And I think coupled with that, humility. Because for me, as we were looking at the text in Philippians, you know, God, Jesus had power, he had authority, but he laid it down and he washed feet and he served and, and um, he lived a life. And let's remember that Pilate says, I find no fault in him. Now, I know that we're human beings and all of us have our flaws and our weaknesses. And I know that. But you see, when we talk about uh, integrity, if we have humility, Humility helps us to say, sorry, I got it wrong. You know, please forgive me. And, you know, show that sort of remorse, that, that, that contriteness. And I think that those two things go together, definitely in politics, definitely in ministry. And in any place of power and authority, we need those two things. Now, the uh, the audience last week was the Prime Minister, was the, the opposition, um, at least a couple of hundred other MPs and Lords, and one Sajid Javid, who at that point was a health secretary, who has gone on record since to say that it was listening to your sermon that prompted him to resign because he felt that that, that called to integrity. Now, many people, of course, remember that it was him who resigned first and so we're being slightly facetious, facetious when we say that your sermon brought down the government. But ne nevertheless, how, how does it make you feel to know that a man who was sat in the audience acted with integrity, it would appear, in response to your call for people to show just that? I think it's important for all of us as ministers, men and women who preach publicly, to recognise that in our words, it's not just a good homily, a good sermon. God's authority, God's power, God's spirit is at work in and through us. And I think if for me, it makes me, it makes me think more about the need to hear God's voice and to be a channel, a conduit, so that God could speak to men and women. Um, whoever they are, wherever we are, 
we've got to recognize that once we stand up to deliver that scripture, that word of God, that there's the potential of changing people's lives, changing people's attitude, changing people um, in terms of the decisions that they made. And I want to, and I, for me, it was an encouragement to hear that. And I'm praying more. I'm asking God more to give me the grace and the humility uh, to, so that when I speak, I am open as that vessel of God to speak into people's life. And it should encourage us not only just to want to preach, but the church to pray more that when their minister is going to preach, that God will speak to them, that God will speak to the congregation, and that God will speak. Maybe that person who's come in for the first time is looking for that answer, that the Lord will speak to them. Yes, and important to remember that a very large number of the MPs and the Lords who are at the prayer breakfast are not are not professing Christians. And, and it's a, a wonderful example of why it matters that Christians do reach out to their MP, to their politicians, uh, to serve them, but also in a loving way to, to challenge them also. And uh, yeah, so as we finish, if there was anything we could pray for, uh, for you and for street pastors as you continue your work, what would it be? I think for, for me, it would be that God's grace, you, you may know, know or not know, Tim, I was very ill last year, very ill at the point of death, and that God really gave me grace and strength. The doctors were superb at the NHS hospital, and God, you know, people prayed for me. Just pray. Uh, my prayer is that God will um, use me to fulfill his will for my life and as I seek to serve in the church. But I also pray um, and ask for prayer for the street pastors and for the network. You know, we have a lot of people. They say that the average age in the street pastors is 65 plus. We have people in the 70s, 80s, but we have young, younger people as well. But let's pray. I'd, I'd like ask prayer that God will raise up more men and women in their local community, in their local church, who want to serve their community in a very visible way. Um, a lot of people out there, and I've had messages from right across the United Kingdom, people saying, I appreciate street pastors. I appreciate you guys being there, that visible presence. I appreciate that you haven't come to judge me but you've come to listen and to help me. And so we want to see more. And I'd like to see at least, you know, eight to 10,000 people saying, I want to become a street pastor. And remember, Tim, it's only after your training, you, you only have to do one week, one um, night per month, 12 nights over 12 months. That's all you have to do. One evening, serving, walking the streets, and listening and caring for people on your streets. Les, what a pleasure it is to speak to you and to hear from you. We will be praying for you personally and for street pastors. Um, but Les, the man who absolutely uh, challenges us to put our faith into action, to serve those uh, in most need in our communities, uh, and if you don't mind us with our tongues in our cheek, only so slightly, uh, the man who brought down the government last week. Uh, so Les, what a blessing to spend time with you. God bless you and we hope to see you soon. Thank you.
Each week, we give you the opportunity for you to ask a question, anything you'd like about this mucky business of politics. It might be how an aspect of this world impacts us as Christians who work within it, or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. I'd love to hear from you and attempt an answer, so please drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. Now, this week, Robert in Birkenhead has been in touch and asks the following. As a Christian, do you believe the decreasing value our country puts on life shown through abortion laws and the teaching to our children that there is not a creator of the world is a basic reason for our youth culture of increased violence and stabbings? Well, Robert, that's a big question. I think that the Christian value of life is something which pervades a Western understanding of human rights. So whether people say they believe in God or not, if they say that they believe in human rights and the fundamental uh, and greatest of those rights is surely the right to life, then um, that is a, a Christian grounded belief, in my opinion. And maybe what Christians need to be more um, graciously, but nevertheless, be confident of uh, God's instruction uh, of the value of life and of the Bible being the source of us believing that. Why do I say that? Because I think there is a sense that we're told in this society that it's all right for us to have a religious faith. It's all right for us to believe in God and even to believe the Bible, but we mustn't impose that on others. So when we talk about assisted suicide or abortion or issues of that sort, you can have those views if you like, don't you dare impose them on anyone else. That's the theory. However, I think that the, the worldly view that life is what we say it is when we say it is, equally comes from a worldview and it needs challenging just as much as a belief in God needs challenging. So we shouldn't be shy about talking about the fact that God created all of us, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we are equal and made a great lofty status of uh, in God's image and having ultimate dignity, yet that we are flawed and sinful and needing of a, of a saviour. I think we should speak about these things with greater confidence that we than we do and I think it is probably true from your question uh, Robert that the fact that society has moved away from that makes us devalue life at other points in life as well as at the beginning of it and the end of it. If you have a question for Tim email farron at premier.org.uk. Well let's join together in prayer. I love in heavenly father we really want to thank you for Les Isaac we thank you for his story of uh, coming to faith um, we encourage uh, all listeners to think about that more and indeed to look into Les's personal story, which is uh, inspirational. But we thank you that he is motivated by sharing you with others and leading others to you and building others up. We pray for his health, um, that you will keep him well and that, Lord, you would equip him to continue to speak about you to others and use him to your glory. Keep him well, heal him and focus him on the work that you have given him to do. And Lord, we also lift up to you the work of Street Passes. We thank you for the many, many people involved in that work and in enabling it to happen. Lord, we ask that you would raise up men and women of all ages in all communities in, around this country to join in that great mission, of uh, to be Street Passes, to support their work, and to hold out the gospel and to hold out uh, Christian love to those who may be least expecting it and most in need of it. 
And Lord, as we think about integrity and leadership, we thank you for Les uh, sharing uh, that vision with us at the Parliamentary Prayer Breakfast last week. We think of contenders for the Conservative leadership, those MPs who would seek to lead the party in government and therefore become Prime Minister. So, Father, we pray that your will will be done. We pray that the contests would be conducted in a way which is pleasing to you. And just we ask that you would lead the right person to number 10. Um, We know your hand is upon whoever it is uh, that uh, takes that role. Um, So we ask, Lord, these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this week's show. Don't forget that you can catch up on past episodes, which feature interviews with party leaders, government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash A Mucky Business. It's been an absolute joy to have you with us. See you soon. Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information.